Now I feel better. Of course, that might not do any good. You see, nobody's missing a porpoise. It's a dolphin that's been taken. The common harbor porpoise has an abrupt mouth, pointed teeth, and a triangular thoracic fin, while the bottlenose dolphin, or Tursiopterngatus, has an elongated beak, round cone-shaped teeth, and a serrated dorsal appendage. But I'm sure you already knew that. That's what turns me on about you. Your attention to detail. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Hello, welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Kai. And on today's episode, I'm actually going to be interviewing the host of the podcast on normal days, uh, Robert Yanis Jr., and in this podcast today, uh, we're actually, it's the first launch of the um, Cricket Table podcast that goes in and talks to um, guests about what movie had an impact on them and the reasons why. And no better person to introduce that podcast than Robert Yannis Jr. himself. Hi, Rob. Hello. This is weird. I'm, I, this was your idea or my idea? I forget how we came up with the idea of flipping it and you being like, I could interview you because it only makes sense for me to sort of be the quasi first guest on on my show uh and i guess sort of inspired by uh alpha waves radio and their imminent return to the uh podcast realm as well as well yeah sort of i think i don't i think it was one of those things where one of those married people's conversations where you know each other so well that you finish each other's sentences oh, you finish see, each I, other's I was about thoughts to do it. you meant you were in the joke i was about to jump in and say sentences or we could have done a frozen version and been like, sandwiches. Sandwiches. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, no, because you said it. No, no, because you said it. And then I said, I was actually thinking the same thing. Well, that's so. how we came up with the name of our daughter and everything. So that tends to be the the Marshall and Lily thing from How I Met Your Mother. But the, we love a cornmeal body scrub. We kind of become one person after a while, which is a little weird. But nice at the same time. Now that... Robin, myself, have given you the spiel about being a cornmeal body scrub. Um, the t- today's feature presentation on this new uh, podcast launch is going to be about Ace Ventura. And I'm pretty sure that no one thought I was going to say that. I know that I was surprised when Robert brought that up. So, Ace Ventura, the animated series or the... When Nature Calls, or the, uh, what was that, the straight-to-video Ace Ventura Jr.? Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, yeah, that's what we were starring talking. Jim Carrey. It's funny, because right before we started recording, Kai's like, one of my pet peeves is when you leave the water on, when you're rinsing something and putting it in the dishwasher. And one of my pet peeves, as she knows, is Miss uh, Miss uh, Speaking regard, regarding film titles, right? Remember we talked about this not long ago, and I was like, that's yes, an episode. But I, or a feature. But I thought that you're... I thought your really big thing about that was when there is there's a couple when you say things. when you say the but there's no the in the like, title like no or or when people are like or when you do a Jurassic the Star, Park the Star Wars or Matrix instead of the Matrix or Miss yeah or when people are like Captain America too I'm like it's not that's not what it's called but okay but sometimes you have to do that in casual conversation yes just but, to make it easier on people I say Thor too because I'm just like I'm not gonna say in the casual conversation, Thor, a dark world. Like, I can't, I don't have that kind of time. Thor, the dark world? Yeah, you do. It took an extra, like, two seconds of my life than just saying Thor, too. I think your well, time, your other, I think you think your time is more precious than it really is. 
Wow. Okay. So, and then you also have a pet peeve when you have movies that are named Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, A Lost World. And then what was it? Jurassic Park 3? No, this, okay, first of all, there's a couple of things wrong with this. One, I don't like when they spontaneously introduce numbers into a series, and that's what you're mentioning. But the second thing is, they don't even call it Jurassic Park, The Lost World. It's actually called The Lost World, Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park. Oh, wow, that's that, super messed up. I, if you, yes. If you put that um, alphabetically, it, Lost World is not anywhere even near Jurassic Park or Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic World or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It's in the L section, like a couple letters down. So it's in the, there's no consistency whatsoever there, which sort of like, uh, I think the Fast and the Furious is the modern example of kind of uh, ridiculous naming. But now we're getting way off topic. This is a whole to- totally different uh, subject. So yeah, so we're going to be talking about Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, 1994 comedy starring Jim Carrey. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. Jim Carrey is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. He's the best there is. Excuse me, gentlemen. Pet Detective. Actually, he's the only one there is. You really love animals, don't you? If it gets cold enough. Now, the mascot of the Miami Dolphins has been kidnapped. Oh, righty then. And he's on the case of a lifetime. Listen, pet dick. How would you like me to make your life a living hell? Well, I'm not really ready for a relationship, Lois. In case you all listening are not familiar with Ace Ventura, a pet detective, um, it's it's a story written by Jim Carrey. Back, um, it came out in 1994, I believe. And it was him being as zany as ever. And it was really like everybody's first introduction to Jim Carrey's talents and everything that he, he could do. And um, Courtney Cox is also in this film. And it's set in Miami, Florida, because during the time of when the Dolphins, Miami Dolphins went to the Super Bowl, which it's very possible that that was the last time. Is it 1994? I don't know. I don't follow football. But um, he's trying, he's pet detective, and he's looking for a a lost dolphin of the Miami Dolphins team, their mascot, and kind of just follows follows his adventures of being a pet detective and his zaniness. Yeah. So anything was, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say no. Well, he, uh, yeah. Tim Jim Carrey was wrote the screenplay with Jack Bernstein and the director Tom Shadyac, who he actually worked with later on Liar Liar and Bruce Almighty which are, again, probably two of my other favorite Jim Carrey comedies. Uh, and this was really, as you mentioned, sort of Jim Carrey's breakthrough. This is this is what took him from In Living Color to uh, to movie stardom, kind of the first of his three big movies in 94, followed by The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. So, uh, so yeah, it's just, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are aware of this one still, even though I wonder, I wonder if this is one of those movies that like millennials have kind of forgot or haven't really just dis- like not millennials, but like the younger generation, what, gener- what is that generation Z? Or, Z? Uh, running out of. Yeah, for now know, it's for now it's generation Z. The name could change. You know what the interesting thing is? The way this world is headed, it makes sense that the next generation might be generation AA. Wow. That's pretty good. Thank you. That's I just pretty came good. Up with that at the top of my head, you can, y'all, oh, the listeners can have that one for free. Um, so yeah, I wonder if this is a movie that Generation Z has. Uh, I'm sure they've probably at least heard of it, but I wonder if they've seen it because it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty impactful for our generation, who are you know, kind of tweens and early teenagers at this point. 
I already, I mean, I already knew who Jim Carrey was because I was a big fan of In Living Color, and I actually could do the Fire Marshal Bill voice, and it totally creeped out my sister. But you can't like, do I, it cause anymore because I, I no, really I can't do. It. I also could do. I used to be able to do the voice of Gonzo as well, but I can't do that either. And it used to creep my sister out because I could even do the jaw movement. You know, you know, who so, you, you know who you are. You're the the character that Kel Mitchell plays in Mystery Men, where he's like, I'm gonna, I can go invisible, but only when no one's watching. <laughs> Did you ever sort see that? Of, yeah. Did you ever see that? No, I oh, didn't. That's a weird movie. It's fun. Um, so I so when this came out, you know, I, saw, I think I saw it in the movie theater, and I don't know how many other eleven-year-olds did this, um, but I went around saying "Alrighty then" all the time, and so like I would ask my mom a question, and before I'd even give her a chance to answer, I'd say "Alrighty then," and she's like, "Hi, you really need to stop saying that," <laughs> and. Um, but I really, I really liked that movie a lot when I was younger, and I still really like it a lot. Me and you have watched it together since you know we've been since we've been together, and it's it hasn't lost its charm to me. It it kind of just brings back those memories of when I was a kid, and I enjoyed it. So when did you you know then we'll train then we'll get into my side of it I guess and why I picked this one to talk about. When did you first just discover it? Like did you see it in theaters or? Was it a home video kind of deal or on cable or like what, what, what point? I think I saw, um, I think I saw it in movie theaters with friends of mine, okay. uh, perhaps. Um, I really kind of didn't see movies with my parents after a certain age. Cause you know, um, my mom was working a lot and, uh, but yeah, I just would just go see a lot of these movies with my friends. And in fact, when I think about it, maybe my mom only saw it once. Maybe she only saw it on, when it was running, airing on television. Um, but, but yeah, I, yeah I saw, so I saw it with friends and then saw it a lot on um, TV. I think, I think oh, Fox this, aired it a lot. This is one of those that was like on TBS and things like that a lot. I don't know if Warner Brothers just really, you know, was selling the licensing rights to any cable station that would, that would have it. But it, I feel like this was one of those that was constantly on like either Comedy Central or something like that. Yeah, definitely true. So for for me, I uh, this was one I remember very distinctly because I was a fan of Jim Carrey's from In Loving Color, which I sort of casually watched, uh, you know, every once in a while. Even though I was eleven at the time this movie came out, and I mean, we were both we're pretty much the same age. We're five days apart, so I was eleven when when this film came out, and uh, probably a little too young to be watching some of that stuff. But um, I wanted to see it in theaters, and I remember, you know. Uh, looking forward to it and then missing it for some reason. I don't remember why I missed it in theaters. I, maybe something was going on. We didn't have time or, you know, other, it got kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, but I, I remember that my Nana actually bought it for me on VHS when I hadn't even watched it yet because I was, that's how excited I was to see it. And if you, you know, the older listeners will remember this was back in the day where not when movies came out on home video or you know now it's dvd and blu-ray and streaming and things like that but when movies came out on vhs they didn't all come out uh you know ready priced quote price to own there were pretty much like the the big blockbusters or you know the uh, disney movies and like you know the the independence day jurassic park those kinds of event movies that families would buy and watch over and over and over again the, the 89 batman this I, I remember this was one of those that was priced to own 
for some reason, which is weird because it's just a random PG-13 comedy and it was a hit, but it wasn't like, you know, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire or something like that, which was one of the highest grossing movies that year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember getting that and I remember watching that in my, you know, at my house and really like loving it. And uh, that combined with The Mask, which I guess, I wonder if this came on VHS around the same time that The Mask either came out or was about to come out. Because that came out in June, and I think this one came out like January, February, also both of '94. So, um, so I was the, the Ace Ventura and The Mask combined really put me on like a Jim Carrey obsession mode, and I, I had a a, a big uh, a big eraser, like a big eraser that was shaped like a pencil that I wrote all all his little catchphrases from both those movies on it. Alrighty then, and smoking and all that stuff from both movies. So this, I was even wearing a lot of tank tops and <laughs> with like like crazy design shirts over it, kind of in the Ace Ventura style. That's how like influential this movie was on my uh, on my sort of comedy upbringing, I guess. Um, and I think you know, still to this day, Jim Carrey is one of my one of my favorite comedic actors and yeah, I like him too. Uh, and who I quote on a, on a regular basis, either this movie or the mask or liar, liar, or, you know, Bruce almighty or, uh, you know, we'd even quote a liar, liar today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing, the other thing with yours, uh, with the Ace Ventura is that that was also the same year that friends premiered with the ingenue, Courtney Cox mm-hmm. and I already knew I already knew who she was because I had just gotten myself really involved in friends and or maybe had just come out or or something maybe the season had just premiered but I already knew who she was and I remembered her from Cocoon and um so maybe that's the other reason the movie did did okay was because it just um well, friends started in 94 but i think like in the fall right didn't it fall start in the when fall did the, when did ace ventura come out january or something like january february early in the oh, year really? i'll look it up hold on on mdb oh but yeah it was uh it was very it was an early early release that's how he was able to have uh ace ventura in like the winter the mask in the summer and dumb and dumber in uh in the uh, fall which is in- insane because he got paid like i think a couple hundred thousand for this and like a couple million or something for the mask. And then by Gen- Dumb and Dumber, he was getting like, he was like banking on it already on his way to uh, getting like the 20 million for Cable Guy two years later. But how did he they even know that? Like how, but how didn't he film them all before, beforehand? I think this was already in the can when they started doing uh, the mask. Or something. It's it's weird. I'd have to look up the. I have to do more research than I have. I have to be more prepared for than I actually am for this. But um, yeah, something like that. So okay, see February fourth, nineteen ninety four. Oh, is when this came right, out right around the, the, right. That's right, right around the Super Bowl. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. That's, okay. That's then maybe all right. Then I'm full of crap. Then. Well, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you discovered it. I mean, maybe when you were rewatching it on VHS and things like that is when you know Friends was already on the air at that point. Or maybe it's possible I didn't see the movie theater. I mean, this was over 20 years ago now. So, yeah. I mean, we're going on almost 25 years ago this movie came out. Right. And you believe it? That's insane. Uh, I know. It's weird. It's, uh, it's it is really weird. Away. I know. We should so, have another one just to talk about the 25th anniversary. Oh, just kidding. Well, I keep I – keep, uh, you know what? This is actually an interesting idea. I keep sort of uh, threatening to – because what we do in our house is we do choices and we alternate who picks what movies we watch 
just so so that Kai can keep me in check, so I don't just pick every movie. So all we do is we don't all only only watch movies that Rob wants to see, pretty much. And uh, I think it would be I keep threatening to put on to make, choose Ace Ventura when Nature Calls, which is a vastly inferior movie to this in pretty much every way. And uh, the, the, every little bit of because Ace in this movie is very wacky and over the top and ridiculous, but also kind of grounded and humanized in a way, you know. Because he has moments yeah. where you're like, oh, he's like showboating all the time, constantly like in this performative mode, like Jim Carrey is. But underneath, he's like a real human person who has real emotions and like, cares about stuff. Um, but in the second one, he's just a, basically a cartoon character. So, but it would be an interesting, because we've done crooked commentaries before, Ace Ventura when Nature Calls would be an interesting one. Because we haven't seen it together and you uh, probably haven't seen it in a long time because you don't really care for it. Yeah, and it got accurate. It got caught up in my whole thing where I rewatched that a lot too. Like I liked that when I was twelve when it came out, and then as into my adult years, I was like, "Oh, this kind of sucks." But um, moving ahead, and again, listeners, this is the first time we've done this format. That's why it feels a little choppy and awkward. Uh, we'll I'm sure smooth this out as it as we go along. So I guess even though we're, we're still awkward, well, we're awkward. That's in our not going to change. No, no, we're awkward in our daily lives in general. And it's actually the next episode we're going to have, where it's going to be you and me again, but talking about a movie that Kai wants to, to talk about and a movie that meant something to Kai or resonated with her in some way. No, I was actually just going to say, I think it's time to move into the the details about the about Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, good with spoilers, with reviews, with what works and what doesn't so on and so forth. So Rob, you want to take it away? What, what's overall your, your review of this movie? So I've seen this many times. So it's as a, yeah, it's films like this that I grew up watching. I have to kind of view them from two different perspectives. One, the person that has been watching it for 20 plus years and to the film critic who's viewing it objectively as both a time capsule for the time it was released as well as like how well it has aged and that kind of thing. So on the one hand, I still love this movie and it's, uh, it's one of probably one of my quote favorite, but not necessarily best comedies that I, that I own and that I've seen many, 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 many times over the years. Like this is the kind of movie that I used to watch in like, 20 minute segments while I was having my bowl of cereal before I went to school each morning. You know, it was this and Ace Ventura when nature calls and, and the mask were the ones that the Jim Carrey ones that I watched a lot um, before I had to like, catch a bus or my parent, my parents took me to school or whatever. So taking that aside, I'm going to try and view it a little more objectively. Uh, there's a lot in this movie that is uh, very messy. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I think it, the film does a good job of sort of leaning on Jim Carrey and letting his kind of tour de force performance uh, sort of capture everything. It it is it is it does come across very manic, and I can see that turning some people off. Like if I were to see this now for the first time, I wonder if I would just kind of be like, "Oh, this is like stressing me out." It's just he's just this guy's all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, because Jim Carrey, he, he has that similar kind of rubber faced shtick that he does in later movies, like in Liar Liar and Bristol Mighty and things like that. But it also gets a little, it's also more smoothed out in some ways. I could see how people would feel, you know, coming into this, that it, it does kind of seem like a, 
SNL sketch stretched out to 87 minutes, which I think is the the which I have burned into my memory as the exact length of this movie for some reason because I that's how I was like obsessed with it. Like I said. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, to interrupt you here, please. If this movie came out now, and in some of the things that don't work about it were changed that you're going to talk about. Do you think that this movie would do, would still be six? Do you think people would still like it? Or do you think it's one of those movies that, you know, those movies that they get hyped up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like from the, uh, from an outside perspective, this guy's just kind of feel like a movie where the story is ridiculous. And it's really just about this outlandish character kind of, living his life and on a whatever quest to, to solve a mystery or something. So in that way, it's kind of like, well, what separates a movie like this from something like The Master of Disguise, which is a terrible movie, but also kind of a similar ridiculous character kind of dealing with in his wacky world and stuff. Or Corky Romano, which is another terrible movie, but is also literally an SNL person. Uh, and so it actually, so was Master of Disguise. That's funny. Um, you know, what separates those from this? And I think part of it is Jim Carrey in this portray in this performance is a reason this character is so iconic. And it's because he, uh, he's Ace Ventura is so showboaty in a way, but then at the same time, there's moments where like he, he insults Melissa, uh, because he's frustrated about the case. And then she walks away and he's feels bad. And he like goes over to apologize. This is right when she gets the call about Roger Protector. He's found dead. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, you see, like, a softer side to him at certain points. You know what I mean? Well, I was also, yeah, well, I thought you were also going to say that the reason why, too, is because this movie was the first of its kind. That's true. Doing well, this, this. This was also before something like Austin Powers, which was, again, kind and of... And this was cool. also before Night, Night of the Roxbury. Right. Right. That's true. So he was really, and he, I mean, he wasn't even an SNL character, but it's, in Living Color, it kind of was, uh, had a similar idea. But, yeah, he was the first you know, um, character like this. Yeah. Was, Although um, we should, we should mention this is not explicitly based on a character from in living color, but it does kind of feel like something that maybe he came up with for that show. And it's like, Oh, you know, we can make a movie out of that. You know? Um, actually, um, I think, I don't know. I know you didn't watch a lot of in living color, but I did. And I know we were watching some, in, um, older in living colors back a couple years ago from the library. And they, remember that, episode that scene where there was this guy at a party mm. and, oh, yeah, and he was, he was being absolutely ridiculous. That was, he seemed the the character Jim Carrey was playing there seemed very Ace Ventura like to me. There might've been some inspiration based on, yeah, that. But yeah. He, and but even it, when he was playing Captain Kirk, he was kind of very I'm Ace Ventura. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, a little bit. Well, he's been, yeah, uh, like William Shatner is, a, I think, an impression he did do on uh, on In Living Color. I think maybe Ace Ventura was just kind of like a, a mismatch of all of his characters on that show. Right, and you know, with the the novelty of a pet detective, kind of gives it a little bit of a hook. Like, whoa, a detective who specifically tracks down pets! What a crazy idea, you know. Uh, I should point out too. I just checked on IMDb that the film is 86 minutes, but the VHS that I had growing up was 87 minutes because it had that extra minute of footage that is like promoted on the original VHS, where that's the scene where he does the whole Siegfried and Roy thing. Oh yeah. With the which I hadn't even I didn't even see that the, until yeah. we watched it together. Like I was like, what is this? With the white and even when they the stuffing with the pants, let him. 
And then when they play it on television, then they would have extra scenes. I Oh, my God. I know. I want that version. I don't think it's on DVD or anything. It's so strange. I don't like it when they do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little weird. It's like just, you're watching a totally different movie. It's like an extended cut of a, a film that you've watched for years. It's a little strange. It's so they can fill it up with commercials, basically. Well, yeah. If I it's think, not long enough. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Because um, there's that scene, and he goes looking for Ray Finkel, and... Uh, at, Coyer County and wherever, and he like uh, ends up at that bar, that bar, and he gets in a fight, and he like takes off his contact lens and break it, breaks it like it's a bottle of beer or something. It's weird. It's a. It's a you think the movie is weird? The, the deleted scenes are even stranger in a way. I'm like, what the hell? They made they like normalized this a little. But for me, is I think what part of what makes this age well and better than some of the other ones that some of the other movies that we saw as kids and didn't mind so much, and then we watched them recently and weren't so great. <clears throat> little monsters. Um, uh. <laughs> is that the movie does establish him as a real person. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's a humanity behind it. And I think that's what helps ground the rest of it, which is why it's easy for me to say this is a better movie than some of those other ones that I mentioned. And it really does kind of all hang on his performance. You know, what about for you? What do you, do you, does you think this movie still works overall? And we'll get to the problematic aspects in a second. I think... If it came out today, or or even if you're just a person that's never even seen this movie, a movie before, and I don't know, I don't think I don't think people would like it as much. Like it's similar to what was going on when when we watched Napoleon Dynamite and you never seen it. But oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, I think you're really gonna like this movie. Well, no, it's like you said, it was it was a lightning in a bottle because I think it, Ace Ventura has the same has the same thing that it just was, it was iconic when it came out because we hadn't seen anything like that before. And I just don't, I just don't think that it would hold up now if you, if you don't have the same um, nostalgia for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you haven't now seen the night of the Roxbury, Corky Romano. I don't mean, I don't know how many people even saw Corky Romano, honestly. Not, not very much. But, it didn't do very well. I don't know why that's the one that came into my head. It's just, um, and there's other ones that you, that, but anyway, yeah, I think that people just be like, um, okay, I don't get it. Well, it's also this like is weird. The industry has changed a lot, obviously, since then. Because like, like, what are the big the there? Do you barely see any really big hit comedies nowadays? Like, I'm looking at this year's box office, just you know, just uh, for comparison's sake, and it's mostly superhero movies or uh, action movies or like the highest straight up comedy that's not based on like a Marvel comic or something is um crazy rich asians which is a rom-com and then you go further and it's like oceans eight which is a franchise thing and like the only real original comedy that's like a pg-13 like in a grown-up comedy not peter rabbit or something that's the highest rated on here is night school at number 28 and that made 71 million which is about the same that jim carrey's ace ventura made 25 years ago this made 72 million in 1994 which was really good in 1994 Wow, that is something. So, um, it's it's yeah. For some reason, comedies don't really connect as well as they used to. Everything is just about spectacle, which in a way is a shame. Everything is has to be hundred hundred fifty million dollar budget these days to really get people out to the theater because everybody has Netflix streaming and you know Amazon Prime and the home theaters and things like that. So I you know I agree with you. I mean I think if this came out now, it would probably be like 
here's a perfect example. It would probably be like a movie that comes out in theaters a couple weeks and then disappears, becomes like destined to be a cult classic, like Popstar, the Lonely Island movie, which I loved a couple of years ago, which nobody saw. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think that, it's, or maybe it wouldn't have been a cult classic either. I mean, it's also with comedy, like you said, people, times have, times have changed, you know, we're a lot more politically correct than we used to be. We're a lot more um, sensitive or a lot more just uh, woke. <laughs> That's and, a good transition into what we really need to talk about. Um, and I think that just it's comedy's hard. Like co- even stand-up comics are having a hard time not offending their audience. Right. And it's just, it's, Which, it's a lot, fair. it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder with a comedy than drama, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Which to be fair, a lot of that, is justified like a lot of that is you know i think sometimes people are overly sensitive to things but i think in a lot of cases we're being sensitive to things that we should have been sensitive about a long 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 time ago just because the you know uh considerations for people of different races or ethnicities or sexual orientations uh just wasn't there um decades ago because you know that's a whole political conversation that we're not going to get super into but with an ace ventura pet i want some when nature calls with it there's a lot more offensive about that and it's just because it's the movie's not good um an ace ventura pet detective it really boils down to there's there's the part of this movie that makes it hard to watch now uh is the fact that it's very homophobic it's very transphobic like if we're in an, in a, an L, age now where lgbtq plus rights are like really uh like people are really on on top of that like if you you know if you say the wrong thing on twitter or if you like let slip any kind of not that i i would because i don't have that that uh, perspective on things but if you you know people are very um you know vilified based on what they say as far as uh, to the lgbtq plus community you know yeah, definitely. And, and this film, this film not only has what, and this was obviously very. If you watch any movie from the '90s, especially I don't know the '80s too, but like especially the '90s, like I feel like every movie you watch in the '90s, there's jokes being like, "Ho ho, gay people, aren't they weird?" You know. And this movie has that one in the bathroom where he's trying to see the guy's hand to check the ring while he's peeing, and then the guy's like, "What the hell?" and then smiles at him because he's into it. And then, like, kind of prances after Ace when he leaves the restroom. So you have that kind of thing in this movie. But really, it really all hinges on the big twist at the end with uh, Ray Finkel and Lois Einhorn and the whole Einhorn is a man and that whole reveal. And um, Jesus, that does not play play very well at all now. Watching it now, I'm like, oh, my God, this would upset so many people, justifiably so, you know? So what are your thoughts about, like, that element of the film and it's because that's the thing it's not like a throwaway joke here or there like i said we have one of one of those one really obvious one um but it's also uh the the whole third act kind of hinges on on that what is uh what are your thoughts on that part of it and you know obviously you can't it's it's partially unfair to judge a movie from 1994 by 2018 standards but at the same time part of what makes movies endure is that they uh, they, you know, they're kind of timeless in a way, and this has such a dated viewpoint on, uh, you know, a kind of key minority right now. That's especially if you're following the news these days, really fighting for its rights. So, what are your what are your thoughts on that? It's a long-winded way of saying, you know, saying uh, what, what do you think about it? Well, I um, 
I'm also curious on what Jim Carrey thinks about it. Looking back now, almost 25 years to a movie that he basically wrote and starred in that was homophobic and transphobic. And if he's had any um, verbal regrets about it, right? Because, you know, ultimately he's, he's accountable and I, you know, I, and I like to think that he doesn't really feel that way. And people can, people's, people can change, you know, people, people mature, people get woke. And, um, so I think, you know, being 11 years old, I didn't think anything of it, exactly. but getting, you know, getting older and, um, and seeing you know, the world around me and clearly it's, it's really disrespectful and, um, you're not very sensitive to that, you know, to a group of people at all. And, um, and it's also, he was, he was also joking about the crying game in it too, because right. that movie was, had just come it out was the year before. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I wonder if it was him also trying to just do a satire a little, from that a little, movie. It's a little bit of that, but I mean, yeah, going back, you know, back at this stage, obviously we were kids, so we weren't really even thinking about, Oh, that could actually hurt. Like, hurt a lot of people, like damage a lot of people and in a way kind of shape a lot of people's perspectives as far as, oh, you know, it's a, it's a transgender person, gross or whatever. Cause that's the whole thing in this movie is that when it, when everybody finds out that Lois Heinhorn is Ray Finkel, everybody's just like so disgusted by the whole, you know, idea of it. And it's like, I can't imagine being a trans transgender person watching this now. It just, it would probably like, you know, I don't, I don't even know. Like, like I said, I can't imagine, but um, it's well, it wasn't also that he wasn't also kind of just disrespectful that Ray Finkel just plain became wanted to become a woman just so he could escape from. I mean, I guess I don't know if this oh, part okay. was I clear. I don't know. Was he wanting to become um, a woman because he was actually transgender, or did he, or did he That's want to become point. a woman to to hide away from that is a the, good point. The person that he was. So you're you're to saying, get away from his they crimes. Don't, they don't really get into that. It's a little. It's weird, but you you do tell that when when uh, Lieutenant Einhorn like kisses people like Dan Marino, like it's just almost like a. It's weird. It's like a, just a weird passion because he like hates Dan Marino so much that it almost feels like it's kind of in a way a sexual obsession too, but they don't really, they don't explicitly state it, you know? Um, but that's a good point. Like did, did, did uh, Ray Finkel just become uh, a woman pretty much just to assume this, the identity of that missing hiker or whatever um, that, you know, that he found out about in the newspaper and that Ace finds later and his effects that's, yeah, so I think that's synonym. disrespectful too because, yeah, because it's not. It's like basically saying like it's a, th- a throwaway thing. It's like oh, he just, you know, he, he just gonna be doing this to do this instead of the the um, those feelings that instead of a person that the person that, decides right. on when they make that decision and then all of this, all of the the, the trauma and money. That goes into something like that too. Right, right. and I just so it has re- no sensitivity to any of it. I just did a review for a film, a documentary film called Transformer, which is, is about that very thing, and that's a real issue that you know people have a, a identity crisis and they feel that their, you know, their body doesn't match who they feel like they are inside. And this movie kind of, in a way, now you're making me think it's even more offensive than I, I thought it was. It sort of trivializes that and it's like, yep, no, it's just the way I can hide. I just tuck it back, and there you go. I'm a woman now. I can like kind of assume a new identity, not because I feel different necessarily, but because it's convenient for me, basically. Um, 
it does allude to that a little bit that maybe Ray Finkel did have a little bit of a transgender leaning or or something. Um, but you know, the movie, I mean, at the end of the day, the movie is not really doesn't really care. It's not really concerned with with uh, the transgender perspective on it. It's a goofy comedy about this guy who says alrighty then and talks out of his ass pretty much, you know. So, uh, right. but in the '90s, that was, I guess, you know, that was acceptable. Most people weren't weren't standing up for for that community of people, and they, you know, in a way, that's that's you know, kind of upsetting because they were even more marginalized than they are now. And uh, it's it's heartening in a way to see. In a way, it's it's frustrating and a kind of disappointing to go back and watch movies that you loved as a kid. And I still love this movie quite a bit. Um, uh, but as a as a person that grew up with it, not not a person who's you know kind of reckoning with the political uh, and you know social commentary of it, it's heartening to go back and see these movies in a way and see how far we've come from this this time where things were okay. You know, you see the the F word, not 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 the that F word, the F word, the F word for uh, gay people. That was routinely dropped in like PG movies, like it was no big deal, like you know, kids movies and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, and that was just cool. It was just like, Oh, you're being a wuss. And that was just synonymous with that basically. Um, so, you know, it, particularly with the LGBTQ plus community, I think we've come so far, our generation from the movies we grew up with to, you know, kind of the things we're seeing uh, happen now in, in our culture and our society and the way that that's reflected in our entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're all, we've all kind of, well, a lot of us have become more woke through the years and yeah, it's not, not immaturity. Everybody. <laughs> not everybody's yeah. ever going to get there. Yeah, and um, we've really, I think that the generation coming up after the millennials, Generation Z currently, but it could change the name, they're, gonna, they're already showing themselves to be a lot more sensitive and accepting generation than right. even we we are. And, um, it's, it's good. It's good. And I think that sometimes a lot, a lot of times you have to have a movement in order to get those groups to not feel marginalized anymore, to feel heard and seen. And there's definitely been a lot of support in, um, you know, the last decade, maybe even less, um, for the transgender community, as well as the, you know, um, gay and lesbian community to, to be more seen and heard and not feel, you know, marginalized anymore. Yeah. So we've yeah, come a long way. I think so. I think this is a good time to move into final thoughts. We had a, we kind of touched generally on, on our general thoughts of the film and, and stuff. Um, so in overall, I mean, I, I, it doesn't, the film has aged kind of horrifically as far as what we're talking about. It's hard to recommend to people now who had never seen it, especially younger people who would be uh, uh, offended by, you know, some of the, the third act content. Uh, but as someone who grew up with it, I still enjoy watching it kind of separate, as long as I separate that part of it from my mind and I could just enjoy the film for what it is and recognize that we don't see things that way anymore. I, I do love Jim Carrey's performance. I love his, his swagger in the role, all his catchphrases and, uh, you know, a lot of the setups with... Uh, with him and Snowflake, with him going and tracking down Ray Finkel, with Tone Loke, which is talk about that. That's like the most '90s thing ever. Tone Loke is in this movie and does the like the theme song at the end, which yeah, I have listened to Spotify. I have listened on Spotify in the last year because I like it. The, the soundtracks actually are mm -hmm. there. 
Um, Do you even know any other Tone Loke songs? Wild Thing and uh, Funky Coleman Deep. And then Aces in the House, which is from this. But he's a tone Loke is really funny in it, and Jim Carrey obviously is great. Sean Young is really good in it too, and of course Courtney Cox. And uh, I like the I actually kind of actually kind of do buy into their little love story. Actually, I think it's uh, they they have some pretty good chemistry. Yeah, they were cute. Did you know she used to date Michael Keaton for a long time? Oh, I think it, yeah, you did tell me that. I forgot that. I think she was dating Michael Keaton when that when the movie came out. That's when this movie I, came out. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He was he was so. uh, he had just been Batman a couple times right before that. Yeah. Well with Sean Young, I actually thought that I didn't see her in anything else at this time, so I actually thought she was a man oh, because of this movie. Okay. I'm like it, it doesn't help it. that her name is Sean. Right. Right. Well she so also like, has oh. very she also has very uh handsome features, I guess as you would say. And uh, a deep voice, yeah. Deep so voice. I kind of thought, yeah, so I thought she was a man already. It yeah, was it was good, good casting. Good casting, yeah, for sure. So you, they I, had me fooled. Do you do you see like do you see how Sean Young looks in this movie? That's exactly why I think why every time I see Lizzie Kaplan, I'm like, look, it's like young young Sean Young. Liz, Lizzie Kaplan has a little bit like smoky eyes, kind of the 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 kind of deeper, a little bit of a deeper voice kind of going on and stuff. Anyway, that's just my. That's what I always think about. Plus, yeah, you hadn't seen Blade Runner. You still haven't seen Blade Runner. That's one we're gonna watch pretty soon. Um, so yeah, uh, overall, do you still enjoy the film and what any highlights for you other than, I guess, the stuff I mentioned? I mean, I just think it's, I just think it's a fun movie and it's really nostalgic for me whenever I watch it. And, um, cause it was sort of Jim Carrey coming into his own, at the height his of his first powers. film. Yeah. And, um, I love Jim Carrey even now. And it's a shame that he hasn't really come out with anything that people see. Well, he's on, uh, he's got a Showtime show or, uh, called kidding. I think it's on Showtime that I might check out at some point because, uh, is it, I don't know if it's now, I'm not sure if it's Showtime or HBO, whatever it is. I have to find out. Cause, um, you know, he's been in the news a lot, like been very vocal on Twitter about things. And, uh, he has a documentary on Netflix with him and his process of playing Andy Kaufman. Yeah, it's on Showtime kidding, by the way. Um, you know, in Man on the Moon and things like that. So he's been gradually coming back out there. So it would be really cool to see him um, kind of making some big movies again. Not necessarily going back and doing an Ace Ventura 3 or something like that at this point. It seems like we're getting a lot of people coming. I mean, we have Jamie Lee Curtis coming back as as uh, Laurie Strode now for the first time in 20 years, essentially. So, um, and he did do Dumb and Dumber too. So I guess nothing, you know, can't ever count count him out of something like that. I think he's kind of past this kind of uh, manic thing and he seems to do be doing more of her, more of his eternal sunshine-ish, uh, like introspective kind of uh, subtle comedy, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, he's definitely someone that I still respect and admire a lot and uh, who is, you know, was as impactful on me as a kid as someone like Robin Williams, you know? Or Eddie Murphy, people like that. Yeah, the '90s was a good was a good decade for comedians. It's a movie that I didn't have to get too caught up on to know what you were talking about because well, yeah, I've seen it many, many times. Same here. So that works out. And that's the thing about this podcast is that we might have future guests on, and they might. And, and you know, I'm this episode is me ma making the choice, but going forward, it's pretty much the guest will be choosing the movie that we discuss. And in some cases, it might be something that I hadn't, I haven't seen at all. So when we get to the point of what is your background with this movie, I'll be like, I was not even, I never even heard of this until I watched it and here are my thoughts. Um, 
but yeah, this is it's just a, such a fun one, and I, you know, it, it felt like the perfect movie to talk about in light of how it's it's kind of a comp. I have kind of a complicated relationship based on you know my view on it then and my view on it now. Looking at it as a you know thirty something year old man in this climate uh, politically and everything, um, but this just you know Jim Carrey uh, monologuing about you know. The double pane soundproof glass. There's no way that that neighbor heard, but actors fall on the way down with that door shut. Like I can literally do the whole movie like from memory. It's uh, it, it's that that a big of a movie for me. So it was it was fun to talk about this one, and it's cool that you and I, you know, this is a film that we um, we both kind of had a similar history with, and both have watched countless times over the last couple of decades. All right. So, any other thoughts? And I think we're wrapping it up now. Um. No, of yeah. course you can find uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Volky LLC, as well as you can also find me on YouTube on my own YouTube ch- channel. Uh, next episode, which uh, again I'm not sure 100% when I'm gonna. I think next episode will be like legit the 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 first of the the initial real batch. This is kind of the sort of soft pilot, soft. This is a soft reboot episode of the podcast, I guess, uh, and that will be Kai and I again talking about whatever movie Kai decides she wants to talk about. I think she's still kind of trying to decide which one that might be. You know what might be a good one? Um, because it, it does. it is one of your favorite movies, and there was some big news about it recently. Um, Clueless would be a good one for you to pick. Well, I'm not going to say that I weren't thinking about it when you were talking about Ace, Ace Ventura oh, and being able to quote movies. Well, that might be a good one then for you because they, just re- they want to do a remake of it, and I know that has a lot of people very upset. And I think that's really stupid as well. So I didn't know anything about this. Oh, I thought I posted it. Oh, I, or told you about it. Anyway, so oh. there, that might be something worth talking about next episode whenever we do that. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>